Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Today on the pod, the tax man cometh. Surrey City Council say they're forced to raise property taxes by a whopping 17% because of the police transition. Mayor Brenda Locke joins us. Plus, we look at Ken Sim and his ABC Council's first 100 days in office, and we'll have a live report from the Syria-Turkey border as a massive aftershock rocks the region. Plus, random acts of kindness. Would you help a stranger move? That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. The city of Surrey, as you say, is proposing to raise property taxes by 17.5% uh, for 2023. And uh, I think any citizen who hears that going, pardon, did I hear that right? 9.5% of that, we are told, is for the policing shortfall in 2023. Joining us now uh, is the mayor of Surrey, Brenda Log. Brenda, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. So walk us through this. Uh, can you explain to our audience why the 9.5% transition uh, is is so high? Like, it, we knew this transition was occurring. Why now, why today, this massive increase, this surprise for, for, uh, for residents? Well, I don't think it should be a surprise uh, that there is an increase or that there is a shortfall due to the uh, three... Um, transition, the police transition, but it it is a it is indeed a large increase. And do I feel good about it? Not at all. I don't feel good about it. But it is what we have to do right now in order to uh, right the ship, right the economic ship in Surrey from a from a fiscal point of view. There are lots of overruns that happened during the last uh, year, and. To be frank, there were some poison pills put into the contract that the Surrey Police Board and the former mayor has to be accountable to. And one of those is an 18-month severance clause that we have to account to because, as you know, uh, local government has to balance our budget and we have to be truthful about that. And so, unfortunately, uh, we have to write that in into this budget. But I need to also be clear. Mm-hmm. The nine and a half percent is only for three years. And we are very, very hopeful that we will only have it for uh, a lower amount or maybe not at all after this year. So we are working to that goal. So let's let's walk through that for a second. You said there was an 18-month severance clause. Uh, is mm-hmm. that the only liability in your mind that is sitting on the books? Or what other specific things can you point to to say, this is what's there, and that's why we're going with 9.5%, just on the policing shortfall, never mind the 17.5%. Can you just walk us through a couple right. other points where the, sure. where the concerns are? So we are this, so this year in 2020, going into this year, we are $116 million over budget on our policing costs. And that's what that nine and a half percent equates to. I mean, look, Jazz, I could have done what the previous council did, which is to find one of those little hidden taxes. They called it a capital parcel tax. And I could have done that and done exactly the same as, as they did, as Uh, McCallum did by throwing it in a corner where nobody saw it. But we said we would be transparent, and that's exactly what we're doing. Part of that cost, of course, is uh, some of the overruns, some of the cost uh, expenditures, some of the doubling up between having two police uh, departments running at the same time. There were there are all kinds of uh, reasons for the 116, but a very uh, very large part of that is the uh, severing of of uh, Surrey police members, and we have to account to, for that, even whether or not we use it or not. 
But uh, Bre- Brenda, do you think, though, that the Surrey Police Service is asking for an audit of your figures? Are you okay with that? Uh, absolutely not. I'm absolutely, I'm actually shocked and concerned. Uh, you're, I think, referencing the leak, the uh, release by um, by the Surrey Police Service. I'm shocked at that. And uh, it appears to me that Chief Lipinski is saying that he has no confidence in the City of Surrey management and accounting. And I, I, I can tell you that I will be seeking legal advice. I'm absolutely shocked at the, the release and the comments by the Chief. Um, I have complete confidence in our general manager of finance at the City of Surrey. He has a team of 20 professionals working here. They're all accountants. Um, these are these are people that are professionals with professional designations. And for him to make some of the statements that I saw in that release is uh, concerning to me. Uh, I can tell you that the city has done extensive and Jazz, I know you have been asking for a long time. Certainly, I have for four years been asking for numbers out of the Surrey Police Service, and we haven't been able to achieve them. We have them now, so it's pretty hypocritical of uh, them to come out at the 11th hour and say, gee whiz, show us the numbers, and we want to comment on your numbers, when they have never shared their numbers with us even with me, although I'm the uh, apparently the chair of the board, I did not see the report that went to Victoria. Bre- Bre- also- Brenda, I just want to jump in for a second. When these transitions occur, these are not small little transitions. These are massive transitions to go from an RCMP to a municipal police force. All of this should have been budgeted um, yes. with uh, with some uh, you know disc- uh, some transparency. Also, number one, you know, five or ten percent of contingency funds along the way. What you're telling mm-hmm. me that you've got 116 million dollars over budget. I mean, it speaks to what you're saying indirectly. Is the last administration was completely complete completely either dishonest when it comes to sharing information with the public or incompetent. I I'm I am going to be seeking legal advice jazz because at this point I am in shock at seeing what I saw out of the chief's uh, press release today. We are bound cities are bound to have our budget done by the 15th of May. We will have our budget done by the 15th of May. But in doing that, we have to do uh, we have to do a process and we had to make assumptions of which they have never participated in. They haven't been good at sharing that information. And so we will just uh, the city is going to do their work and I have full confidence. I have 100% confidence. Mm-hmm. In, in my staff here, and it, this is exactly what we have been asking for. And as I said, I have been on my feet in council saying, I want to see a line-by-line item of, of the expenses, and I've been told no. Brenda, but Brenda, now, back, to you, back to your budget. You know, council mm-hmm. often throws out these dramatically high figures, and then there's debate and there's public backlash. Is there wiggle room for you to whittle down that number? You know, um, we, that is why we're having a consultation period. We did. Um, we went around the city and had a consultation with the public, and they said they wanted to see a number of things in the budget. One was more amenities for, for children, youth, and families. The other was on uh, roads, and the third one was on public safety. Those were high high issues for our residents. 
This budget was built around that. We will now go in front of the uh, Finance Committee, which is a committee of the whole, and people will have an opportunity to say, we don't like it, or they do, and we can make a decision as council about whether we're going to move forward on it. Um, So to answer your question, yes, people still can give us feedback, and we still can make changes to this budget, but um, we're going based on what the public told us in January. Brenda, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. Bye All now. right. All right. That is uh, Mayor Brenda Luck, Mayor of Surrey, talking about a potential increase of 17.5% property tax increase for Surrey residents, 9.5% um, due to a policing shortfall, according to the mayor. And she says there's a shortfall of $116 million. Now, you and I know anybody who follows municipal politics knows the books have to be balanced every year. The number is quite shocking, isn't it? I've never seen an increase like that in my entire career of covering city hall politics. So, yeah, 16.5%, 9%. I mean, that's the thing, though. Is this 9.5% over three years? Or every year. Every year for the next three years? Every year. They're not, Surrey so, residents are not going to oh, buy this. It's going to get heated. And as, as the uh, Mayor Locke says, the, she is absolutely appalled and angered, actually, by the Surrey Police Service actually putting out a press release questioning the numbers. That would, of course, were uh, uh, produced by uh, Surrey City Hall staff, public staff. Uh, so you can tell the... the so that the, battle the, continues, basically. That'll continue, yes. If you're just joining us, we were speaking to Brenda Locke, the mayor of Surrey, uh, yours truly, and our co-host today, Robin Gill. And uh, I was actually taken aback a little bit by her worship, who said that she is going to uh, talk to legal counsel, uh, not happy with the Surrey Police Service, uh, who have put out a press release basically questioning the numbers that uh, the city of Surrey has uh, put together by their public servants at City Hall, saying basically they're going to raise property taxes potentially by 17.5% by 2020, for 2023. Uh, and 9.5% of that is due to the policing shortfall. Uh, they have to make up for about 116 million dollars. There's liability sitting on the books, including uh, the 18-month severance that is supposedly owed to these officers that have been uh, hired. So a, a, lot of, a lot of threats and accusations being thrown, thrown about. I did not expect that on a family day, but give us a call on our buzz lines. We'd love to hear from you on this issue at 604-331-2899. 604-331-2899. Who do you blame for this 17.5% potential increase? Uh, the SP, SPS transition, or do you think it's the present uh, administration? Uh, we go with uh, Ms. Locke and, and her council colleagues. So, boy, what a mess, eh, Robin? Well, clearly they're not feeling like family on this Family Day weekend. <laughs> no, that's the last thing they're doing. But let's talk about Family Day. Of course, uh, this is the Family Day long weekend, as Robin said, and it is the perfect opportunity to reconnect with loved ones. Joining us now uh, is Nirmala Renega, founder and executive director of the Paradise Valley Healing Center. Happy Family Day, Nirmala. Happy Family Day, Jess. Happy Family Day, Robin. And I had to smile about the the coral in Surrey. <laughs> well, coral, I think, is the nicest way to put it. And, and you would be the one who would, who would put it in a very n- a nice way because it is a bit of a challenge. But let's focus a little bit on on this day. How important are days like this, to, uh, like today, when it comes to human connection? 
I tell you what, families are one of the most important things, uh, I think, in our lives. And it was actually said quite well by Michael J. Fox when he said, family is not important thing, it is everything. Um, I just And I just want to share some research. I mean, re- researchers have observed that in all societies, they have studied family plays a crucial role in success and individuals. So it's it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, there's been a lot of disconnect in our society, a lot of disconnect during the pandemic. But uh, research also has shown that when people isolate the risk of um, uh, mental health addiction and premature premature death is high. Mm-hmm. In, in many in many ways, uh, you know, we talk about uh, happiness can be found through potentially career achievement. Some would say, uh, you know, living healthy life, and uh, that means exercise. It can be a healthy diet, but at its core, human connection or good relationships with people. Would you say outweigh all of that? Absolutely. I mean, when you look at uh, the psychologist uh, Abraham Maslow, right? He talked about the the our five needs. We have the physiological, you know, having a roof over your head, food, shelter, and then the second is safety and security. We want money, we want uh, relationships, but the third one, which is a, a crucial one, which is a need to belong. We want family. We want those connections. We want those feelings of of appreciation, that affection, that attention. Those are the things that actually feed us to actually become bigger than, larger than ourselves. Nirmala, on a day like today, some people may not have family. How do they um, deal with a day like today? Well, I would really encourage those who don't have family is, is to be able to reach out to someone they feel connection with, someone they trust, or the other way around, that when we know if somebody is isolating and not connecting, we put in that effort to reach out, to connect, even leaving a message. It, it doesn't take long. Like We don't have to spend a lot of time, but that little call, that little uh, something that when we put that time, energy, and effort into connection allows the person to feel that that this, their life has a meaning, that their life has a value. I'm going to throw this out there. What if you don't like your family? Well, that's the thing, right? The families can be healthy and these dysfunctional families. And we think only blood relationship is the family, but, you know, you can have family outside of your blood relationship. You can have a good friend that can, you would call a family. For sure. I sent out messages of happy family day to all my friends as well as my family. <laughs> yes, yes. We, we, we forget. We, we only think it's our immediate siblings. Like my family is huge. Like, you know, I was, I was counting this morning. We are like, like when I look at my siblings and their kids and the grandkids, it's like uh, 50 plus people. Wow, that's, that's a pretty big is, family. <laughs> are, are they all here in Canada or are they around the world? Well, actually, uh, most of them are here. I have a sister who is uh, in Kirkland. She was here for the family day weekend. And I have um, uh, two uh, nieces, uh, sorry, a niece and nephew in Australia. Mm-hmm. But when we have, uh, we had a recent get together back in January for one of my nephew's um, uh, sons, but they, all of us actually showed up in the way. And um, and it's a it's a blessing. I mean, I 
I'm talking about me. It's a blessing when you are able to connect with your family, uh, to see them. Uh, but most people are not able to do that. So we, how do you do that? Are we? Final question to you. Are we getting better at this? I mean, in regards to recognizing uh, mental health uh, challenges, uh, an empty inside, whatever, however you wish to define it. Are we getting better at it in society, or do you think we are so career-driven in this twenty-four-seven world that it's actually we're actually uh, falling behind? I think we are getting better at this, and and the reason I say this is from my own personal experience of the number of calls when we when we get when people are struggling. The calls, uh, seven out of ten calls, so that 70, 70% of the calls are from a family member, from a spouse or a mother or father, actually asking help for their um, loved ones uh, who are struggling with mental health or addiction. Mm-hmm. So they are seeking help. Nirmala, thank you for your time today. Thank you, and again, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yes, Ken Sim, the mayor of Vancouver, promised to bring the swagger back to Vancouver. You also have swagger, my co-host today, Robin Gill. How are you? Oh, Jazz, you're much <laughs> too kind. I got to say, where did that swagger come from? I'm guessing he's talking about Expo 86 or like the 2010 games, because uh, I don't ever think that Vancouver had any swagger. I know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird way to describe Vancouver, but I think he delivered that comment at the Vancouver Board of Trade about three weeks ago. Uh, when he was sort of providing his state of the the city of address, course. right? So that's I, where it came from. I think it's a reference to putting Vancouver back on the international stage. So let's let's, uh, let's, yeah, let's cut see. him some slack. Well, our <laughs> next guest certainly knows a lot of what's going on at Vancouver City Hall. Uh, Frances Bula is a, a political contributor for the Global Mail. She has covered City Hall for a, for a very uh, long time, and last week marked the 100 days since uh, Ken Sim and his ABC colleagues were sworn in. I thought it was a good time to touch base with her in regards to. Uh, you know her assessment of uh, how the first 100 days have gone when it comes to a safer city, tackling housing challenges, to even repealing the uh, 25-cent paper cup fee. Francis Bula joins us now. Hello, Francis. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you for joining us on this family day. Uh, let's start uh, with a broad question. Your overall sense of uh, Mr. Sim and his ABC colleagues in their first 100 days uh, in office. I mean, I think that they've done reasonably well. Um, you know, they had a number of high-profile announcements or decisions about things that they've carried out that, you know, were part of the platform. They've been very fortunate in that the provincial and federal politicians really seem to want to scramble to be seen on side with them. Uh, and so they were able to make announcements about, you know, new funding for nurses and support from the province and funding for police and so on. Uh, they have carried out, uh, you know, some of the promises they talked about repealing the cup fee. Um, I don't believe their platform actually said they were going to take out the bike lane in, in Stanley Park. It said they were going to uh, look at creating a permanent one that would use part of the temporary one. Uh, but they that seems to be a bit of a mess, but they have acted on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they've done the quick things uh, and shown that, you know, we're doing things, we're doing things, you know, a bit quicker, differently, whatever. That's good. Um, I mean, I think for everyone, and I'm, you would know this better than anyone, 
Now that's the easy stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, the announcements and the, you know, we broke the, this logjam or that logjam. Now it's like the really difficult stuff. Hastings Street, homelessness, uh, mental health, addiction, um, drug issues in the city, uh, uh, you know, the sense of things fraying and crumbling a bit in the downtown. You know, these are those are much bigger things that aren't going to be solved in 100 days. Do you think a mayor, especially Mr. Sim, who doesn't come from a traditional political background, uh, is able to actually, you know, accomplish some of these things that he said he was going to do? You, as you said, you know, challenges when it comes to mental health and addiction are very complex. They don't happen uh, in even one election cycle, never mind by one level of government. Uh, in regards to his temperament, uh, his experience, do you think he's up to tackling that? Well, I would say not him by himself. I mean, I've seen business people come into councils for like 25 years, 30 years now. But I am only 37, so I just want you to know that. But but, um, I see business people in particular come onto councils and they think, oh, I'm just going to run this the way I did my business and I'm going to do you know, this thing and that thing right away, and they kind of don't understand the culture that they've walked into, that it's not a business, and they're not just going to be able to snap their fingers and do things. Uh, And that's always a bit of an adjustment period. Um, But he has a team around him, uh, you know, and three experienced counselors who kind of know a bit better how things work and so on. So um, I think that he maybe has some delusional ideas about <laughs> how easy things, if, if that's not too rude a thing to say, but, you know, uh, about how quickly things can be changed at City Hall. But I think he's got more experienced people on board who are saying, no, this is, you know, this is going to be a long haul. And, you know, recently someone said to me, we've done the easy stuff. Now the lava is starting to harden at City Hall and everything <laughs> from here on in is going to require dynamite. <laughs> Uh, you know, you're right, Francis. He certainly surrounded himself with people who are going to support him and um, work with him. You know, much of his support came from the West Side and former NPA supporters. Do you think he's resonating with all of Vancouver now? No, I don't. Uh, and, and I don't think it came just from the West Side. Like, there's a strong contingent. I would say that the voting pattern is uh, that the NPA or center-right parties like his, they get um, their support from uh, all across South Vancouver, like kind of south of Kingsway and then parts of the west side. And then, you know, they don't have kind of the north uh, the north and uh, necessarily Kitsilano or whatever, so um, in Fairview. But... Um, I don't think it's resonating necessarily with everyone. I mean, I think a lot of people did want to change, even people on the left who weren't very, very um, thrilled with Kennedy Stewart and the sort of chaotic council he presided over. So they did want to change. Um, I think um, some of the recent moves, like cancelling the cup fee and cancelling the bike lane, people are starting to feel like, okay, we wanted some change, but we thought they were going to be a little bit more um, thoughtful about this. Uh, and uh, so You wanted something think- more substantial, right? Uh, well, no, I think people didn't, didn't think that they would come in and just start cancelling stuff. 
that they were going to take a more tempered approach, and they're not seeing that now. So I, I think that people are starting to take, maybe feel like, oh, maybe they're going going a bit too far here for me. Uh, you know, I'm talking about the, uh, all of Vancouverites. Like the people who voted for them, I think, are very happy with what they see so far. Uh, Francis, I'm, I'm curious, and, and this is more focused on social media. Of course, there's going to be criticism of Mr. Sim from those who uh, think differently politically. The state of the centre-left, uh, you know, one could argue they've been running this city for 14 years. Uh, are they organized enough next time to, to be able to push back or challenge? Or do you think this is going to be a longer-term rebuild from the, the traditional centre-left that have been running the city for a long time? Yeah, I think it is going to be longer term. Um, uh, you know, they they were such a majority. The ABC party, Ken Sim, came in with, you know, 80,000 votes compared to 50,000 for Kennedy Stewart and most of his candidates. So that's a big lead. So they've got a lot of political capital available. And, you know, it's going to take time to wear that down to where people are like, no, they're not doing what we want either. So let's kick those ones out, too. That's, I think that's going to take at least uh, two terms for sure. And I see no sign that the left is, has figured out in any way how to pull itself together. Uh, you know, you've got a number of parties all kind of working on their own and using different strategies and not being very coordinated. Is Vancouver a polarized city? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, we live in such a polarized world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I tend to think that Vancouver is not as polarized as some people think it's just the the loud voices make it sound that way but i think that my sense of vancouver has always been it's a bit of a mushy lefty greeny city um you know in general and and even people who are sort of on the conservative side like they're not conservative the way you would be conservative in you know florida or texas or something like that so I've never felt that it was particularly polarized, but there have been have been some ugly scraps over particular things uh, in the city, like bike lanes, um, like particular um, social housing projects, and so on. Let's talk about some housing issues. Um, what do you think of Ken shutting down the renter's office? Y- you know, I don't have a clear sense of what they were doing. So it's hard for me to say. I I mean, I do cover renter issues. And when I call phone, uh, it's the tenant resource uh, uh, advisory center in town that's operated for a long time. So it's, you know, even to someone like me who covers things fairly closely, I didn't really have a totally clear sense of what the renter's office was doing. So I know some people objected to it, but honestly... I had never seen anything saying this is what we've accomplished or this is what we do or this is how many households we've saved. So it's hard for me to feel like it was a huge blow. And in many ways, that may explain why Mr. Uh, uh, Sim and his ABC colleagues got elected. They pointed to some of those foibles, and I think partially that that may explain um, uh, where they are today. Francis, thank you so much mm-hmm. for your time today. Really appreciate it. And look forward to having you in the studio one day very soon. Yes, that would be fun. I love going downtown and being in big glass offices. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the best. Thank you, Francis.
Okay. Two new powerful aftershocks hammered Turkey uh, and Syria, and as you know, both countries are still reeling from that uh, from the devastating quakes on February 6th that have killed at least 47,000 people. Uh, a magnitude 6.4 earthquake hit the Turkey-Syria border region at a depth just under two kilometers. Uh, the extremely shallow aftershocks uh, was uh, aftershock was followed by a magnitude 5.8 quake uh, several. Uh, minutes later uh, in an area referred to as the Hatay region. Now, that region is on the Mediterranean Sea, and Turkey's disaster agency said the sea level could rise by 50 centimetres and is actually warning uh, its residents to stay away uh, from the coast. Now, after the first earthquake hit this morning, we managed to reach Maya Kudsi, who is based in Aleppo, Syria. Uh, During our interview at about 11 a.m. this morning, another aftershock hit as we were in the middle of our conversation. I began our interview with her by asking her what she was seeing and hearing after the first quake struck. To be honest, just less than an hour ago, another earthquake happened, and I'm still in, like, I'm I'm still in shock. I was in the street, and out of nowhere, I just saw the buildings shaking. It's it's actually really terrifying. I didn't feel the like the earth is moving, but I saw the whole buildings and the trees and people start screaming. It's way, way, way scarier than you are inside like your house. I was shaking so bad. So I, I, I'm, now I, I'm, in, I'm at home, so it's all good. Uh, and so you were saying you were just walking down the street and then it, it, the tremor hit. The earthquake happened, yes. And people, I assume, were streaming out of their buildings and out of their homes? Like, I think less than a minute, everyone in the building were were in the street and, like, people cr- screaming, crying. Like, it's panic. Like, people driving so fast. This would give you, like, a more... Like, it w- like imagine everyone having a severe anxiety attack at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And have you heard at this moment, and it's very difficult to, to get an assessment of the whole region, but have you heard of any any uh, buildings uh, falling yes, or impacts yes. on people? Yes, because some houses that 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 were not, um, sorry, the houses that didn't fall, um, it has like some cracks and stuff. Now it's on the floor because it's supposed to, they're supposed to demolish it, but now with the earthquake, it happened without anything. Uh, and lots of ambulance going on. I can hear them from here. You can. Um, can you tell me uh, what it has been like the last couple of weeks in your community? So since day one, as I told you, the local community was amazing. But um, thank God, after two days, I think, um, um, aircraft from um united um, emirates um a lot of um rescue um crews from nigeria they were amazing they helped us so much um from all kind of um, organizations the united nation also helped a lot um um the red cross the red crescent i think it's called um 
lots of them i can't even count but like lebanon um nigeria um uh, united emirates now i heard today that there was one from germany and then iraq helped us a lot like through um trucks not only like by plane actually a lot of help but still it's a big big chaos and big um yeah big uh big problem like it needs a lot of help uh are people still living in their cars or out on the street or have, so, and are you able to find um, some uh, accommodations for them there are good like amount of shelters like school and mosques and they are like they did them they did it to suit to to suit them to live in not only like to stay they did some um big um tents mm-hmm. um but still there's some people who are still in the parks uh or in the street they still there's still some people especially the one who um had this uh i can't speak sorry <laughs> the one who um lost their house mm-hmm. they are they found a shelter but the people who are scared that's the one that they're sleeping in their cars is there enough food uh, for people? Uh, I can't. But I th- I'm not going to say everyone is hungry because there's lots of help coming from everyone. But uh, probably it's going to be the food will be a problem in later days after this today. Now, people are more scared to go to the places that are dangerous. So it will be even harder to give to the people over there. People are eating, but not that much, as I'm saying. What has it been like for you personally? Um, you know, you are trying to help, obviously, your family, but your neighbors, your your fellow community members. I, what, what has it been like for you personally? To be honest, I went, like, for four or five days to help the people, like, who've been impacted really bad. Um, like, even, let's say, one day, there was more than 2,000 meals that are um, given to the people, but it's only one meal in a day. Imagine they need like at least two, like two meals a day for God knows when it's going to finish. So this needs to be constant effort and like working hard and lots of money to to people who need because it's not like a day or two it's not like just one time people need to eat more obviously if there's kids older people it's really bad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but personally i i told you i'm traumatized i think even like after a day or two i feel bad that i'm living in a good house and people still sleeping in the street like that's so bad and everyone talking about how they have uh, PTSD the tr- the the post traumatic trauma after the after what happened mm-hmm. and my reply i think i was in shock so i stayed calm not calm quiet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i couldn't speak like good for a few days yeah. but it's 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 really bad i can't like even whatever I say, it's nothing like when you're like in here. Uh, going back to what transpired today uh, for one moment, uh, are residents planning to stay in their homes or are most people worried about an aftershock, another aftershock, and perhaps trying to find different accommodations or sleeping outside because of 
the um, the 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 state of some of these buildings already and and their uh, foundation, and this incredibly yeah. uh, strong aftershock, which to, to my understanding is the magnitude six point four. Yep. So people, I this is, I think it's half half. People because they do they know they they don't have anywhere else to go, so they like they stayed in their house. If it needs a bit of fix, they tried their best. And some people say like this is all I have, so I can't leave it and go. So they just stayed, you know, even it's dangerous, a bit dangerous. But some of them, when the government come and they um see the building that it's need to evac. Oh my God, it's happened. Is it happening right now? Yeah. Okay. Well, I want you to be safe. Do you wanna? Do you want to? No, uh, no it's all good. I'm talking through the like. I'm on my on your phone. phone. It's okay. Fine. So we'll stay with us then. Are you in the middle of Stop. it right now? Stop. Yeah, it's just it, it's happening for a few seconds, but because of what happened. Yeah. We you can hear the the things are moving and shaking. Well, it, like the chandeliers are shaking. I don't know. Yeah, I could. And it's this constant anxiety and, and worry that you have to live yes. with, right? It's that aftershock. I mean, we're Yeah, like any about... sound or anything, you feel like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like I said, it, if anything, if, if the, as, as we're speaking, if something transpires, please, uh, if you have to go outside or have to get to safety, please do so. Uh, I want to make sure I reiterate that. My final question to you is, are, are you planning to stay and help your community and continue to do the work that needs to be done? Yes. I, like, as I told you, like, I'm blessed to be in a safer area than some people. Like, no, no area is safe, but still I have a good home. So whenever I can, I'm helping. Like, two days ago, I went to a kitchen and just start cooking for everyone instead of going on in the streets. But as I told you, it's not enough. People have to go back to their work so they can have more money, so they can like be able to help again. People are raising money to find um, houses to rent for people who lost their houses. People are like, honestly, I'm shocked how, how much my local community helping others. But, you know, it's it's never enough. And this is not ending. That's the thing. Like, even if the house is... 50% safe with this shaking it's it's it's, it's not because any extra move will it, it will affect even worse and people mentally like you can see in the street people are talking <laughs> with themselves no one is smiling it's it's no one is mentally i think good like especially if their body is still alright but their mental health is really 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 bad Maya, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing uh, your story and your community story. Uh, be good, be safe, and uh, we'll talk very soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's talk about something nice or random acts of kindness, uh, more likely, like it. I mean, I, I was looking, going through Twitter today, and I saw this great tweet uh, from a gentleman who moved from East Vancouver to Langley. And I guess last night... Uh, they left their uh, window open and it was raining. So they show up to their vehicle this morning and somebody had used some sort of plastic film and covered the open window and left a note saying, hey, I, I didn't know who you were, so I just covered it. Didn't want to make sure your car didn't get, uh, your seat didn't get wet. That's well, so nice. That's a random act of kindness. 
And we don't see enough of that in this world. And so it was just great to see this morning on social media. And it was just a gentleman who moved from Vancouver to Langley. That's well, being not, a good citizen, exactly, too. Exactly, exactly. Well, speaking of good citizens, our next guest is Phil Figueredo. He's a producer here here at CKNW. And a new Vancouver, he moved in from the suburbs. So rather than East Van to... to, to well, that uh, explains why he's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Bring the kindness. Bring the kindness. How are you doing, Phil? Not bad, Jess. How are you guys doing today? Uh, we're doing very well. We don't got a lot of time, but can you tell us your story? Now, you live in and around the downtown area, and I understand you recently uh, found out that somebody needed some help moving. Yeah, so basically what happened was I, uh, I'm a longtime Canucks Twitter user and uh, someone that I've been following for a long time, I've interacted with a bunch, he was like, hey, uh, is anyone available for like half an hour? I just need to move this fish tank and uh, it's quite heavy. So can someone come and help me out move this fish tank? Was and, it empty, uh, Phil? <laughs> it was empty. Okay, good. Yeah, I made sure of that first. If it was a full fish tank with water and dead fishes in it, no chance. Yeah. No, it was an empty tank. Uh, and so I basically was like, Hey, you know what? I'm sitting at home, not doing too much. I've never met the guy in person before, but like I've said, I've interacted with him for a long time. I'll go and meet up with you. I'm not too far away. So I trot on over, meet up with him. He, uh, like helps me or I help him move the fish tank into where it's going. Ask him all about it. Turns out he works for a uh, local waterproof shoe company and uh, decided as a thank you for for helping out for the 10 minutes that I was there that he would set me up with a bunch of these shoes out of the kindness of his heart and didn't charge me for them and just said, hey, thanks for taking some time to help me out. So what compelled you, cool. what compelled you to do it just because you've interacted with him or you just said, you know, I feel like doing something nice today. Sheer boredom, Jazz. Sheer boredom. <laughs> so you're really not that nice after all. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I, kidding. I'm I, kidding. I, uh, I, I was actually, uh, I was off work for about a week and a half. I had a bit of an infection, so I was just itching to get outside. And I was starting to feel a little bit better, and I needed to go for a walk anyways. So I thought, you know, two and two together, I'll, I'll head on out there, go help a person that needs some help, and uh, also be able to finally meet the guy in person. So it was it was really good. Phil, I hope you inspire people. What do you have to say to people that, you know, would serve as inspiration? Yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't take too, too much just to help a lending hand if you got the time to do it. Uh, I know we're all busy in our day-to-days. I sure is. I sure am. Uh, but, you know, just a, it didn't take much. It took half an hour out of my day. I wasn't expecting anything at the end of it all. It was just, hey, you know, I could help someone out here. Um, and it, I don't know, it just kind of felt good. Phil, thank you for your time, my friend. You are an amazing guy. We all know that here at CKNW, and now the rest of the audience does as well. Thanks so uh, much. <laughs> I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day, guys. Take care. All right. That's- Bye, Phil. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.